This is the Modern Day Tribe podcast where we talk about all things birth and postpartum through stories from real moms and dads and professionals that can support you before, during, and after having your baby. I'm your host, Sarah Bednar, mom of three babies and certified postpartum doula, focusing on a holistic approach to your basic needs and maternal intuition. So while you're here, hit the subscribe button so you won't miss an episode. Hi there, I'm Sarah, your host of the Modern Day Tribe podcast. I have a guest here with me today. She is a certified nutritional therapy practitioner, along with being a wife and a mom. She is the owner of With Candor Wellness. Here is Emily Blasick. How are you, Emily? I'm doing great, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm so excited today because as a postpartum doula, I work with a lot of moms that are either pregnant, birthing, or they're in postpartum time. But I know that your work is with the nutritional aspect of our life, and that really just spans throughout our whole entire life. I always like to talk about how we get connected and um, Emily and I got connected completely by chance and I'm so glad we did because I know you are and will be a very valuable resource for my clients and anyone that else that you work with. We met visiting a new wellness center here in town. It's called Our Well House by Dr. Courtney Kala. We just started chatting about what we do, and I instantly knew you were a professional I could refer my clients to for all their nutritional needs. I know with you being a mom, you also have your birth and postpartum story, and I know you're open and willing to share that. So your little one is almost one years old, right? That's right. He'll be one um, November 12th, so right around the corner. Yes, it's coming up quick, isn't it? Yes, so quick. It went by so fast. (laughs) Yes, so about a year ago, you were very close to having him. So can you tell us a little bit about your birth and postpartum story? Sure, of course. And before I get into that, though, I just want to say that it was such a great thing to meet you as well, because I've... I've read about and heard about postpartum doulas and I've always been curious and I know so many of my clients would benefit from that service as well. So I think vice versa, it's just great to know someone with your expertise. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. So if we want to get into my birth story, um, let's see, you're right. So it was November... So my due date was November 7th, um, and I ended up having him having him five days later, November 12th. So I was almost 41 weeks pregnant, and I think it was a Monday that I woke up at 4.30, and I was having, like, weird kind of mild to moderate. It, it kind of felt like period cramps, and I got really excited. Um <laughs> I was like, this is going to be the day. So I don't know if I willed it to happen or if it was just 
you know, going to happen anyway. That's but right, yeah. I think <laughs> I was ready. As, as moms that are in their 40th week can attest, it's just one of those things where you're just like, okay, come on. I'm, I'm ready to mm-hmm. get this ball out. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, and I actually, here's the funny thing. I, I had had a induction scheduled for I think it was the week. No, it was the day before. So we had we were gonna do November 11th. This is kind of a I don't know, like an insurance policy. Like let's just go ahead and a couple days after the due date schedule an induction just in case we we want to get things rolling on our own. And when that day came around, I was just like, you know, I really just want to give my body the chance to do it naturally and to see when baby's ready to come. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm honestly so glad that I did because it, it turned out to be the next day, which was great. But everything just kind of flowed. And as I said, I woke up that morning feeling like that was the day. I got up. I, you know, my control freak nature started like tidying and cleaning and making sure I was ready to go just one last time. Um, but I drank a very strong cup of raspberry leaf tea, which I'm not sure if your listeners have heard of raspberry leaf tea, but I swear by the stuff because I truly believe I drank it for like most of my pregnancy every single day. And I, it's supposed to help with like uterine toning and that sort of thing. Mm. And I really do swear by it because it. I felt like it really kind of helped get get my uterus and everything strong and ready to to have a baby. So I drank that. That was my my pre breakfast glass of tea, and then I kind of just started, you know, getting on my my little workout ball, trying to get the baby in the right position. Everything I'd I'd been told about just kind of letting gravity do its thing. Mm-hmm. Out, my husband had gotten up to, around this time, and we had our hospital bag by the door and everything. He was working from home, so that was really nice. And about noon, the, the contractions or the, the cramping kind of started to slow down. So it was happening. I was having, I guess, mild to moderate contractions every, I would say, probably 15 minutes. And by noon, they had kind of started to slow down to every 30 or 40 minutes. So we actually decided to go for a walk. We, we usually go for walks in our neighborhood, which is about two miles. This particular day, it was 20 degrees outside, which is kind of unheard of for November in Dallas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was the coldest day of the year, but we bundled up and we went for a walk and I just remember thinking, like, I remember this like it was yesterday. It was just such a bittersweet feeling of this will be, most likely will be the last walk that we take as a family of two. And that was just, like I said, so bittersweet because on one hand, it's like, you know, I don't know if how ready I am to be a mom because I don't know if you're ever truly ready. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, we were so excited to have our first baby. So it was definitely a, an emotional time and a really exciting one as well. So the walk actually did the trick or seemed to do the trick because by the time we got home, my contractions were starting to get a little bit closer together. They were kind of coming back. And this is kind of embarrassing, but I think one of my biggest fears about labor was 
being starving and not being able to eat, like in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah. Have you ever had that fear? Because that was a big one for me. I actually do because I am a snacker. If anybody knows me, I eat like all day, like little snacks all day. I don't eat like huge meals. So going for such a length of time, that actually was one of my fears too. So I totally identify with you. Okay, I'm glad that I'm not alone. And I had heard, I'd heard a lot of stories about friends who were like, hey, go and eat something before you drive to the hospital because especially if you plan on having an epidural, like they will not let you eat. And if you're in labor for 24 plus hours, like you will be starving. Mm -hmm. And so... That was like my biggest worry. So I was constantly snacking, making sure that my energy was staying up. Um, but basically just relaxing on the couch and trying to get those contractions to get closer and closer. So around, I think it was around three o'clock in the afternoon, they were coming about every eight minutes. By that point, they were all in my lower back. And so I, I remember calling the doctor's office and just being like, hey, this is the situation. I'm not sure if I should go to the hospital right now or not because I was also really worried about being turned away. I I didn't want to get to the hospital and then be told to go home. So I called my doctor just to make sure, and she was actually like, you know, I would try to labor a little bit more at home because if they're all in your lower back, that might mean that, like, we need them to be across your entire abdomen basically to let us know that you know you're getting closer Mm -hmm. and I didn't feel great about this I was like I don't know I feel like we need to head to the hospital like I was I was getting pretty anxious at this point I definitely you know I think just as a new mom you're just like questioning your every move like should we go should we stay oh for sure Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah so it was quite unnerving at the time but I then after talking to my doctor about 30 minutes later, they were getting a little, little closer, but they were still not really radiating to my to the front of my stomach. They were all kind of in the back. And I texted my aunt, my aunt Sonia. She's actually the director of nursing um, at a hospital in Lafayette. She was like, no, you need to go to the hospital as long as they're, they're coming every eight minutes or faster. It doesn't really matter where you're feeling it your baby could just be positioned differently. Mm -hmm. So definitely head to the hospital as soon as possible. Yeah. So I was like, oh, thank God. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. So um, I remember in the last moments, like my parents were staying, um, they're from Louisiana as well, but they were in town and they came by and just gave us a hug and wished us well. And then we got in the car, we drove the 10 minutes to the hospital By the time we got to the hospital, it was about 4.30, and we did our paperwork. We got into the room, and by this time, the contractions were pretty intense. They weren't, like, terrible. Like, this is the funny thing. I remember thinking, wow, if this is it, I can do this. Like, this Mm -hmm. isn't just terrible. Well, I was really naive because (laughs) (laughs) they, they do get a lot worse, as I'm sure you know, but... So they went ahead and checked me, and I was four centimeters at the time. So that was a great thing to hear. I was 100% effaced and four centimeters dilated, which was such a relief because that meant that I could be admitted and wouldn't have to go home. Mm -hmm. So 
let's see, that was about five o'clock. Um, and I think, you know, for the next, I would say three hours from five to eight, I was basically just breathing through the contractions. They were definitely getting closer together and a lot harder to bear. Um, I remember my husband, he was so great. He put on my favorite Christmas playlist. So it was like Frank Sinatra and Michael Bublé songs. Oh, how fun. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, anything. I feel like when you're in labor, anything to just kind of help make you comfortable, it just makes a huge difference. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was kind of nice. I was listening to, you know, some smooth jazz Christmas songs, and he was helping massage my lower back. Thankfully, I was able to, this was a hospital that allowed me to just continue standing and moving around the room. So I honestly don't know how people labor laying down because I could not get comfortable, like, in the bed. I had to be standing up and moving around. So... That was a big thing for me. Um, And he would just keep massaging my back. Everything was going pretty well. But at this point, around, I would say, probably 8 o'clock, I told my nurse, I was like, okay, I think I'm ready for an epidural because I don't know how much longer I can take these contractions. Like, they were pretty intense. And um, she had told me what I was nervous about. Get, the reason I hadn't asked for an epidural sooner was because they had told me, you know, you're going to have to stay still for about 10 minutes while they place the epidural. And that was just like the thought of having to stay seated and actual, actually still for 10 minutes. I just didn't think I could do it because the contractions were coming every like minute and I just had to like walk around. I just could not stay still. So I kept putting off the epidural because I was actually more afraid of not being able to sit still than I was of the contractions, Mm -hmm. if you can believe it. Yeah. So finally I was like, you know what? I, I'm going to try my best to sit still. I don't think I can go much longer. And so I told her I wanted the epidural. That's when this is something I, I think I'll always remember because it was such a game changer. Um, but the nurse was like, Emily, let me lay you down and just check you. Because a lot of times when we get to a certain point that women are asking for pain management, they are at the basically end of their labor. She was like, I just want to make sure that, you know, you can, you know, do this. She just wanted to check and see that basically I was, um, moving along and progressing and then mm-hmm. decide if I wanted wanted the epidural or not. And I'm I'm so thankful because she she was like, You are up seven centimeters. She was like, I'm guessing with how quickly things have progressed, you will be done within an hour. Like I I bet you you'll be pushing within the hour. So that was just huge for me. That mm-hmm. basically I remember um, my husband saying that <laughs> my facial expression went from one of like fear and just like timidity to I'm a warrior. I can do this. I can get through an hour. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It was just such a boost of, of confidence and like, okay, I've made it this far. If I could just get through the rest of the hour, I can do this. Now that definitely didn't mean that it was easy um, because for the next hour it was, I think it's what they call the transition stage. Mm-hmm. 
where I was just, they were, contractions were coming like every 30 seconds to a minute. Like I was in so much pain. I was definitely ready to start pushing. I was definitely feeling some pressure. And about nine o'clock, maybe a little before nine o'clock, the doctor arrived. She was like, okay, are we ready to do this? And I was like, yes, I'm so ready. Let's get this. Let's get this over with. Mm -hmm. So... I got in bed, they kind of called, it was kind of intense, they like, I I joke, it was like the hospital SWAT team, like everyone started gearing up, there was like five people in the hospital room with me and my husband, including the doctor, and they started putting on their masks and their little gowns, and I was like, wow, they mean serious business, so at that point, I was about nine and a half centimeters, and I don't know what the doctor did to get me all the way there, but she did. And before I knew it, I was being told to breathe really deep and give it my best shot at pushing. And I'm pretty sure I pushed for about 15 minutes, but honestly, it felt like an eternity because that for me was the hardest part. And it wasn't so much the pain because by then, like, I felt, okay, you have a mission to do. And so the the contractions actually kind of faded into the background. Like I didn't so much I don't so much remember the pain of the contractions any longer I just remember feeling as I was pushing like every blood vessel in my head was about to pop because I was pushing so hard mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah so that was very interesting it was a completely new experience but within about 10 minutes they were like we can see his head he has a full head of hair and that was kind of the motivation and the the kind of push that I needed to just kind of get through it. So, you know, I gave, I gave like one final push and I, I just kind of felt everything come out and it was the best feeling of relief I think I've ever felt in my life, but it was wonderful. It all happened so fast and it was such a blur, but I do remember them just putting this tiny little seven pound, nine ounce baby boy on my chest right away. And, I looked, I remember looking up at my husband and he was bawling. I have never seen so much, like, like he had eyes full of tears Mm. and all I was laugh. And I think that's just, it's very telling about how I handle emotional situations. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not a crier. I just laugh. Like when I'm full of um, awe and joy, all I can do is just laugh. And so I just remember basically smiling and laughing and my husband was crying and Jude was absolutely beautiful. We decided to name him Jude after St. Jude um, because I had St. Jude throughout my pregnancy for a healthy pregnancy and delivery. Yeah, that was kind of the gist of it. But after that, you know, we did the skin to skin, which was lovely. And they gave me and my husband and, and Jude some privacy, and we just got to bond with him. And he was actually right out of the gate. Whenever they put him on my chest, he was already basically rooting for a boob. Like, he was already hungry. Yeah, just like mama. <laughs> so, yes, and that was so fascinating to me because I was like, how do they even know? You know what I mean? Like, how do they know that that's what they're supposed to do literally right after they get out of your stomach. It was mm-hmm. so fascinating. Absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. Just such a miracle of life and 
So it was honestly, I feel like my biggest takeaway from the whole experience of, of birth was I've always been kind of the person who doubts herself and doubts her capabilities as a woman, I guess, in, in so many different aspects, which I know sounds really depressing, but it's just kind of like kind of who I am as a second guesser. And I always just kind of put labor out of my mind because I, I just was like, you know what, whatever happens, happens, and it's going to be fine. But I just didn't think about it too much because I'm not great with pain and I just didn't really want to dwell on it. I was like, whatever happens is going to happen, and I just need to accept that. But I always kind of doubted my ability to do it, especially without an epidural and without all the help I could get. And so I think what the experience just kind of taught me was that as women, we are so much more capable than we think we are. Mm-hmm. And allow our bodies to do what needs to be done and to get out of the way, like to to stop overthinking, to stop worrying, stop stressing, and just let it happen. A lot of times we end up just surprising ourselves in how much we're capable of. And obviously not every, like there are a lot of things in birth, unfortunately, that can go wrong. There's a lot of things that happen that are totally beyond our control. But I do think just knowing that no matter what happens, you can do it and that you're strong enough to do it is such a huge lesson that I had to learn. And that really helps me understand that I don't have to be scared. I just have to trust in myself and my abilities to do it. So that was kind of what I took away from the whole thing. And mm-hmm. it just really was an, a crazy experience. Like so many emotions, so many different different feelings after that. But that was kind of the birth story. And postpartum ended up being pretty good. I had my parents in town to help. So mm-hmm. that was really nice. Oh, that's and, good. Um, yeah, it was it was very nice. They actually weren't staying with us. They were staying. They had rented a house, like a couple minutes away from our house. But okay. it was just so nice to have them over during the day and lend a hand where where help was needed. And I just think having a support system like my husband and my parents and my husband's parents having that support system around us was just really great. And it allowed the postpartum experience to be everything that I needed oh all in all it was it was a wonderful experience and you know no regrets I love it and we so appreciate you sharing that because as you pointed out that you had some fears and sometimes almost reliving that telling a story a lot of times our bodies are feeling that same energy as if it was actually happening to us again so pointing out that you had some fears and knowing that you were going to be feeling that again. I just really appreciate you sharing it. I think the stories themselves are so valuable and we want to validate them and celebrate them all at the same time. And I do have to tell you, when you talked about not really having 
that sureness of yourself, I guess you didn't use that word, but I see you as like a high achieving optimist. That's <laughs> those are the words that oh. kind of popped into my mind in with it very complimentary in a way that I can see you being very detailed in what you want to focus on in really achieving those goals. And at the same time, I had the biggest smile on my face as you were talking about your birth story. And you talk about how you looked up and you saw your husband just full of tears and your instinct was to laugh, but in a good way. I actually have two, two, my two girls are actually very similar to that. They have a tendency to laugh when (laughs) they're getting in trouble. (laughs) And they might, but anyway, it's just, it's a really sweet thing that they do. But as someone that doesn't know that about them might think that they're not taking it seriously, especially like if, for example, they're getting in trouble. But I think it's it's just a way of how some people's body reacts to certain situations. But I think for me, when you were saying that, uh, I just felt like you, and I felt like that when we were talking in person too, that you really enjoy, exude that joyful energy. I don't know exactly how you think of it, but I, I, see, I feel it as that. And I just want to tell you that. And I'm sure... We'll talk about your work here in just a a minute that when people are your clients, I can bet that they just really have that security and knowing that, first of all, that you're high achieving, that you know what you're your craft and you really want to care for them. You have that energy about you. And I just wanted to tell you that I'm not sure if anybody's ever told you that before, but. As you were tell- is, telling your story, I felt that. I appreciate you so much for saying that. That's one of the sweetest things anyone's ever said to me. Um, and I'm really happy to know that that's how I come across. Because I do have, I feel like I do try to live my life in a joyful manner. But I also obviously know that there's a lot of times where I'm not the most joyful either. And so to hear that I, I come across leading with joy makes me feel really good because I think as as people and as women especially, that's a huge thing. I think we need to be sharing with one another is just kind of a joyful outlook on life because obviously life can be really tough. That's um, right. Yeah, so just to kind of be each other's inspiration and joy is just a huge thing for me and there's so many women in my life who have been that for me as well and so Mm -hmm. I guess I kind of see it as just like paying it forward and and trying to be the joy in in someone's life and but yeah thank you I really really love that you see that and you hear that and I think so I may I don't know if you know anything or you are interested in the Enneagram but I'm an Enneagram type nine, which is, they call it the peacemaker, but it's basically, um, I hate conflict and I avoid it at all costs. I, but the bad side of being a nine is I also can get really down on myself and have those like perfectionistic tendencies. And if I don't live up to them, like I said, I I can second guess myself and just kind of get really down on myself. So I'm glad that the joy comes through a a bit more than that. Yes, yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, I actually love the Enneagram. Uh, I've done it and I, for the life of me, I can't remember. I think when I took mine, I had three ties that were the top. So I was like, what? <laughs> but I maybe that's typical. I'm not sure. And I haven't, uh, I've been so interested in it, but it's not something that I've completely researched into. And I think it's actually something that could be very valuable when knowing ourselves and seeking more information about ourselves. And then also when we're in relationships too, whether it's, you know, family or friends or business. I love that you brought it up. So yeah, I think mine is like a one, two and three are very close together. One of those was a t- tad bit higher, but they were kind of like a all together at the top as far as my weightedness towards those numbers. So yeah, that's interesting. That's, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I would have, I probably would have pegged you as a two, which is the helper. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, but, <laughs> yeah, one, two, and three sounds fitting. <laughs> yeah, so um, that'll, that's a, like a whole nother episode, podcast episode. Yeah. So that's, that'll be fun. But yeah, let's talk about your work too, because I know you not only work with moms that are either thinking about getting pregnant or are pregnant or, you know, postpartum, but just really, obviously, nutrition is important throughout our entire life, you know, including our infants, you know, after we we birth them. So feeding ourselves is important in that aspect, too, with, with what we're feeding them if we end up uh, wanting and are able to breastfeed. So can you talk about a little bit about your work and maybe how you got started as a nutritional therapist? Yes, of course. So I actually, when I was about, I would say in my early 20s, I had a lot of hormonal imbalance symptoms. So I struggled with acne for a really long time. I was always tired. Fatigue was a big one. And just a few other symptoms where I just, I would go to doctor after doctor and I just never was able to get to the bottom of those symptoms until I was about 24 years old. I went to an OBGYN who was a little bit more on the functional medicine side of the spectrum who diagnosed me with PCOS and hypothyroidism. Mm. So that was a big kind of realization for me because I had just never had any answers to why over the last five, ten years I was experiencing all of these things that a 20-year-old should not be experiencing it was, it was pretty big, and I had to basically do a deep dive of my lifestyle and nutrition habits that were causing these symptoms and, you know, the underlying causes for PCOS. So I don't know um, how much your listeners are familiar with PCOS, but it's po- called polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it's basically when you have too much testosterone in the blood which can kind of translate to cysts on your ovaries or there's like insulin resistance is kind of a huge aspect of it. Um, So if you have some blood sugar mismanagement, that can cause PCOS. And stress can also cause it high cortisol, estrogen dominance. There's kind of a lot of hormonal aspects that go, that play a role in PCOS. So Mm -hmm big thing for me was starting with my diet and okay how was I eating that was 
affecting my blood sugar, my insulin, my cortisol, what were my lifestyle habits that were, you know, making me stressed. All of these things played a role, which led me to doing a lot of research and just inner reflection of like how I was living my life to get mm-hmm. to the bottom of how to solve this, this issue. So that kind of put me on the road to where I am now of having, you know, nutrition be such a huge aspect of like health and really recognizing the connection to that and trying to basically make other people's lives, especially women, their lives better through nutritional therapy. And what that just means is really trying to fine-tune their diet, and not only diet, but lifestyle choices as well in terms of sleep and stress and movement in order to get to the bottom of maybe some symptoms that they have or just how they feel in general. So that was really what led me to starting my business and to actually studying nutrition before that, just for my own personal health reasons and then Mm -hmm to help people like myself who were going through maybe infertility or endometriosis, PCOS, all of those things that can contribute infertility and really big health risks down the road like heart disease, Alzheimer's, all of those kind of big things that you think about mm-hmm. that you know, don't really connect to hormonal imbalances or insulin resistance, that's actually the kind of things that we work to prevent. So, but it it really does start small and it starts with, hey, I'm I'm really tired all the time or I I can't really seem to get my skin to comply and I'm always breaking out or I have all these really big sweet cravings and all these little things can add up to a much bigger kind of problem that I work with my clients to help kind of get under control so that nothing can turn into one of those bigger things down the road. I love that. You actually answered several of the questions I was going to ask, like, what does it look like when you work with a client? And you kind of talked about that and the type of services that you offer. So if there's anything specific, what type of services do you offer? And what are some of those main nutritional issues or requests that your clients come to you for? And maybe some practical things that you could offer a listener today that they could maybe even start on their own, maybe even whether it's that self-reflection or something that they know that they can change easily, just like you said, one thing at a time? Yeah, great question. So to start with services, basically, um, it's pretty simple. What I offer my clients is if you kind of want to work with me for Sort of like I always recommend a longer period of time where we, we, we work on basically the whole system, the whole body. And so that, that takes more than just one or two sessions. Mm-hmm. So I like to say that like this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so it's not something that we could just do overnight or within a month. Like I really like to either go three or six months and you can basically do that like they're packages and within the package we do like a really detailed initial interview where I meet with my clients um, and talk about their health history, their health goals, what they hope to get out of nutritional therapy and just really kind of have that deeper conversation of getting to know the client 
to where I can best serve their their interests. So after that, I will I'll have them do a food journal and a nutritional assessment questionnaire, and I will basically draw up kind of a graph of what their symptoms in each area of the body look like, so that we can down the road compare these graphs and see how the nutritional changes and lifestyle changes are affecting their symptoms because that's mm. the real big thing we want our clients to have a really good quality of life so symptoms are a big part of that but I also offer I, I believe in also kind of looking underneath the hood at certain what your body is telling you as well so I do offer a stool test with which is a GI map to mm-hmm. kind of see what's going on with the gut because as a lot of practitioners believe I 100% think that gut health is a giant a giant thing to consider when we're looking at hormones and just overall health so if digestion isn't doing well chances are you're going to see a lot of problems elsewhere Mm -hmm. in the body so I do offer a gut health testing and a food sensitivity testing along with the nutritional questionnaires and and symptom questionnaires. So when I take all of that information, I will basically draw up a protocol uh, and nutritional recommendations, supplement recommendations, all that good stuff based on their goals, their history, and their tests. That's kind of how working with me works. I would say if I were just talking to someone who was like, you know what, I really want to prioritize my health, whether it's, you know, just for general health, whether it's to balance hormones, to um, be able to conceive later on, you know, whatever it is they're going through, I would say that the biggest advice I can give women in their 20s and 30s or 40s or whenever, whatever age they're at, is to balance their blood sugar and to really hone in on their stress management. Mm. So those are two of the biggest components, I, I believe, to hormonal health especially. And those are two of the big things that I had to work on when I was going through um, my journey with PCOS. And, and they completely changed the game for me. And so how you do that for blood sugar management, it's really focusing on the whole unprocessed foods, the one ingredient foods like quality meat, lots of vegetables, fruits that maybe some of the lower sugar fruits like berries and apples, and just really trying to get the processed food out of your diet as much as possible. So that that's just things like the packaged food products. Just really focusing on those higher quality foods, even I'm even, I know a lot of people don't even like dairy, but I'm actually, I'm totally fine with full fat. If you can find it, grass-fed, raw dairy, I think there's so many nutritional benefits to that. Mm-hmm. So just really focusing on those unprocessed foods. And then for the lifestyle component, especially when we're talking about stress management, really trying to prioritize the activities that are going to lower your cortisol. So that means taking walks outside in nature, meditating for 10 minutes a day, maybe practicing some yoga. And even more than that, I feel like the more important stuff is actually like letting loose with maybe having a girls night, going on a really fun date with your with your partner 
doing things that you actually enjoy can lower your cortisol so much more than you would imagine. And I think that in today's day and age where we're all work, 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 we focus a lot more on our to-do list and just kind of accomplishing what we need to accomplish rather than having fun mm-hmm. and letting loose and doing things for ourselves. For most women, I find that they struggle with that component the most of giving themselves some me time and focusing on having a good time and being able to, to let go a little bit of all of their their stressors, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. So what I talk, took from that is more whole foods and more fun. <laughs> yeah. We take, we take those things for granted because health mm-hmm. can be a lot simpler than we think it is. We think there's this magic formula or this magic pill that will just solve all of our problems. And to be honest, it's so much simpler when you just go back to the basics. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us have gotten so far away from quality sleep, good filtered water, whole unprocessed foods, and stress-relieving activities that we are so lost and we don't even know. We feel like we have to buy a a magic pill in order to make it better or we have to get on this really strict diet and that's just not the case. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. When I work with my clients, I always say that I focus our basic needs. When those are met, then everything else should fall into place nicely. The body has such an amazing way um, to heal itself, and unfortunately, I think this goes back to what I was saying with kind of labor and delivery, we are all all up in our heads all the time, especially as women. We overthink so much, and I think if we get out of our own way and let our body do the job it needs to do, it will will be able to heal. Mm -hmm. We just have to give the tools to do so and let it work its own magic basically oh so true so true and what I was thinking of when you were talking about your work it's very comprehensive I love the fact that you really dive deep into the history of what your clients have been through and then their goals taking a lot of different things into account I love that that's like I said comprehensive and very holistic it sounds like I would be excited to be able to send somebody your way when they're looking to get something like that. Thank you. Yeah, I I really try to make it as comprehensive as possible because there is so much more that goes into health um, than just eating and exercise. And a lot of it, you know, has to do with mindset, with, you know, past traumas, with things that people are currently going through mentally. And so there's a lot that goes into it. I know I said that health can be really simple, and it totally can be. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think people a lot of times leave out some really important components. And I think um, mental health is a huge one as well. So I just try to keep as much of that in mind as I work with clients to, to really get to the root issue of what's going on in their body. Mm, absolutely. So if someone were to be interested in your work, how can I connect with you? I have a website. It's called withcandorwellness.com and that's just W-I-T-H-C-A-N-D-O-R wellness.com. 
And all, there you can find my services. I, I write some blog posts about hormonal health and things of that nature. So that's pretty much my hub. But on socials, I'm just Emily Blasick on Instagram. That's E-M-I-L-Y. Blasick is B as in boy, L-A-S-I-K. So just my name on Instagram. And I'm also Emily Blasick on Pinterest. I don't know if anybody uses Pinterest anymore, but (laughs) that's basically where you can find me. So if anyone is interested in my services, I would definitely recommend just heading to my website. Okay, perfect. Any of the things that we've talked about, especially your contact information, I'll put in the show notes for anybody that's listening, maybe in the car. I'll put that in the show notes so they can get connected with you, Emily. Again, I appreciate you. And just having been able to met you in person and now got to chat even more in detail about ourselves and our work. And I feel so fortunate to have met you. I know God put you in my life for a good reason. And I definitely have learned uh, a lot just by chatting with you today. So thank you. And I know our listeners will have too after they listen to this. And I just appreciate you. So thank you so much, Emily, for sharing you, your story and all about your work. Thank you, Sarah. I am so honored to be able to chat with you, and I just appreciate you reaching out, and I completely agree. I think um, everything happens for a reason, so I'm so glad to have met you. Aw, thank you, Emily. If you want to hang out with me on other social platforms, you can find me on Instagram at Dallas Dula Sarah, on Facebook, The Modern Day Tribe, and on my website, themoderndaytribe.com. And If you loved what you're hearing, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts and share it with your friends and family. These reviews and five-star ratings help this podcast get found by more listeners and parents that are also looking for support and guidance. (music) 